This is Comic Shenanigans, episode number 25, comic reviews for the week of November the 7th. And welcome to the show. This is episode number 25 of Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. And uh, th- today we're looking at our reviews for comics that were released November the 7th, uh, this past week. And uh, there were actually a fair bit of releases that came out this week. Uh, not a lot of kind of big-ticket books in terms of, uh, at least in terms of books that were really good. Um, there's some interesting and, more, and notable releases. Uh, we had two releases from the Marvel Now launch, uh, which was Iron Man number one and Deadpool number one. Um, um, but for generally, I thought this is kind of a lackluster week. Nothing that really kind of spoke to me and kind of jumped off the page and said, you know, you have to read this. Uh, even books that I usually really enjoy, they were still good, but they weren't spectacular. So it was a little bit of a disappointment. Well, we'll jump right in. Uh, we've got Action Comics number 14. Um, so Action Comics number 14, I found it to be, well... Just action comics in general, I find it to be frustrating. Uh, the artwork is once again by Rags Morales, who I really usually enjoy his artwork quite a lot. Um, here, this is not his best work. In fact, I would say it just it looks downright juvenile at times. Um, like, and it seems just inconsistent because there's some shots where it really looks really kind of well put together. It looks like the Rags Morales I remember, and then there's other shots where Superman looks far too young. Um, uh, this whole Mission to Mars thing, uh, some of it's interesting, some of it just really isn't, and I guess my problem with it is almost is it feels like Grant Morrison's trying to write something quirky and weird, a little bit like All-Star Superman. However, at the same time, he... All-Star Superman had had this feeling that you were going somewhere, and you're all this, this these these funny little sojourns you were taking were part of this much larger journey. Um, I haven't really really been all that moved by most of Action Comics thus far, and I'm, I don't even feel like I'm really going to miss him because it just feels like he's doing quirky, weird little things, but he doesn't really have a, like a narrative in mind. And even when it looks like there is, it just it it, it feels like it's so its own thing, and as part as one of like the main flagship Superman books. It just feels like a mistake to to not have it really feel like it means anything to anything else going on in the DCU. Um, so this is a mission to Mars. Superman apparently can hear things on Mars, even when he's just at the Daily Planet hanging out, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense because oh, I guess this is still in the past, so it's not in the in the present. So that's why he uh, still works there, because obviously in the regular Superman title he recently quit. Um, Superman just looks far too juvenile and young, and I just find it it almost looks more like Superboy half the time. I find it off-putting. Uh, the actual kind of story of what he's doing and why and how he kind of gets to watch Krypton explode. Uh, it just, I felt nonplussed as a reader. Um, this isn't Grant Morrison's best work. This definitely isn't Rag Morales' best work. I want to like this book, and unfortunately it really didn't do a lot for me. So I gave this a 6 out of 10 because it just didn't motivate me. Uh, next up is Action, sorry, uh, sorry, next up is actually Age of Apocalypse, number 9. Now, I had really liked the, one of the more recent issues. I thought um, they're really going somewhere interesting in terms of the story ideas, and I was really kind of thrilled by it. Uh, this issue was a bit of a stinker. Um, there were some interesting story developments with, uh, I like how Gene and uh, Great and Creed it's kind of relationship is progressing, but at the same time it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it feels really forced, but... It's probably the highlight of the issue. Um, the rest of it just really didn't work for me. Uh, David Laugham, this isn't his best work. Roberto de la Torre, this is definitely not his best work. Like, his stuff can be moody, 
but uh, it has to be the right type of genre. And it, although it tries to be moody, it doesn't fit this book. This book has a very uh, has a very different feel to it, and the artwork just it felt like some of the Tor- Del Torre's best. I'm uh, sorry, not best, his worst, because uh, it was not coherent half the time. It felt like it was overly sketched, and it wasn't. There wasn't a lot of line work, and I appreciate minimalism, but only if it really serves to be effective in terms of enhancing the storytelling capability of the artwork. And that didn't happen here. Um, I just I wanted to enjoy this book because I really liked the last couple of issues, and then this just didn't do it for me, and I was very disappointed as a result because I was telling a few friends of mine, I was like, you know, this book is actually pretty good. I've read the first little bit. The first few issues were a little bit rough, but then it gets really solid, and then here we come issue 9, and it's not so good. So I gave this a 6 out of 10. Next up is Animal Man number 14, so this is part of the Rot World storyline. Um, I'm not really, I'm more a fan of the, the Swamp Thing aspect. I think part of it is just that I don't find the kind of I don't really like the, like the red they've been using and the coloring. I mean, I, I like it because it's vibrant, and it definitely helps. It, it's it's important when you're doing a story where you have the red versus the green. It's important to have very dynamic colors that really grab you. I just don't care for the way that the the red has kind of been portrayed, and even the way that the, uh, the rod has been portrayed. I really find it disturbing and uncomfortable, and I don't necessarily look forward to reading comic books that make me feel uncomfortable. Um, Jeff Lemire wrote this. Uh, Steve Puch. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I apologize in advance. It might be Steve Pug, or it's P-U-G-H, so I'm saying Pug. Um, I do like that we're, we're starting to fill in the blanks of what happened uh, during the gap period that uh, one year passed, and now Rot World has kind of taken over, and you have the red and green in different areas. Um, the artwork is actually not so bad. I just, it, again, it just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable, and we're still in that kind of... Uh, a stage where we're still trying to find out more information about how the world got to be this way. So there's not a lot in terms of answers really forthcoming, but we are starting to kind of see what happened in the past to kind of make the raw world happen. So I do appreciate that. Um, so I give this a 7 out of 10. Next up is Avengers number 33. Uh, give this a 6 out of 10. I did not enjoy it at all. I, in fact, probably should have given it a 5. Uh, this has not been this is best work um, at all. I cannot wait for this to be this book to be over. I can't wait for the new Avengers by Hickman to start because this is not enjoyable. This whole end times thing is kind of garbage. This issue we have artwork by uh, the Dodsons. This isn't even the best Dodsons work. I just found this really boring and like, ah, just not enjoyable. Um, the whole Return of Wasp has been handled poorly. Um, the way that Hank is written here is kind of stupid. Uh, Actually, most of the Avengers, they aren't written that well here. Uh, the villain that they're fighting in the microverse is really ridiculous. Um, this, just, this just didn't work. I mean, Bendis has done some really strong stuff with the Avengers, but this just this is not a good example of that having happened. Uh, a lot of this just doesn't work at all. Um, I can, it, it, it doesn't help uh, Bendis' case that this is basically a lame duck book. Everyone kind of knows this is ending... And based on the way that some of the other series have ended that have led into new relaunches or will be leading into new relaunches, uh, we've kind of got the idea that a lot of these endings just kind of feel foisted upon you and they don't really matter as much because they feel very, like, editorially mandated. Like, oh, it's time to pull the plug because a, a revamp or a reboot, whatever you want to call it, is about to start. So I'm ready for this to be over. It's very much a lame duck comic. I'm, it's not all that interesting. It's ready to be over. 
uh, I'm ready to go on to the new thing. Marvel clearly is ready to move on to the new thing. They're not really spending a lot of time on this. And yes, they're double shipping so they can get it out as quickly as possible, but it's not all that good. So uh, it was kind of unfortunate. So I gave that a 6 out of 10. But again, I've eh, almost deserved a 5. It was not that enjoyable, unfortunately. Okay, so next up we've got... Uh, what was next up on the list? Avengers Academy number 39. So this is the last issue. Um, I'm actually pretty disappointed about this. Obviously, there were some rough issues during the AVX times, and those who listened to our uh, AVX, recent AVX episode, uh, episodes 18 and 20, will know that my um, guest at the time, Paul Scores, was not a fan of Avengers Academy. He always kind of said, like, I don't, I don't care about Avengers Academy. I'm not interested. I think it looks like crap. Uh, he only picked it up as part of the AVX, and unfortunately, those times were not the best issues of this series, and so it kind of, for him, made him feel like um, it kind of validated his opinion that it wasn't worth checking out, and it was not a good book, um, which I disagree with wholeheartedly. I think it's a great book. Uh, so this is the series finale. Uh, Tom Grumman on art, Christos Gage writing. Um, the beginning is definitely a little bit off-putting, and... Uh, but at the end of the day, it definitely felt like a last issue. If um, I'm really sad that this was the last we got to see of them, but uh, it's in, I guess what makes me more disappointed about this isn't that it ended. It's that knowing what's coming next in this ridiculous Avengers Arena storyline where basically they're going to be killing off a lot of characters, potentially. And that part I don't like at all, because I don't want them to kill off characters I really enjoy from this book and how they're being written. Uh, there's some really good character moments here. Uh, Quicksilver... Uh, Christos Gage gets how to write Quicksilver really well and how to make him interact with characters that are similar to him, like Finesse. Um, so I really loved his moment here where he's actually quite a, an interesting mentor and, and figure and who's actually is trying to help um, in his own weird way. Uh, this is just a great resolution to, their story, to the kid's uh, story. Um, Vale is kind of... You're definitely seeing that, you know, at the end of the day, she did learn something from this whole process, even though she's human now, and she can still use it. So this is bittersweet, because this is the ending of a, a team I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed these characters. I thought that when they moved west uh, to the West Coast Avengers compound, it really opened up new avenues for stories and kind of rejuvenated the book a bit. Not that it had grown stale, it just gave it further ways to go, because they had new characters and a new cast, um, and made it even more enriching. Uh, I really enjoyed this book all the way. Um, I'm really sad that Avengers Academy is over, but I'm glad that we got it uh, to begin with. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. My only gripe is, I don't know what it is, but when Tom Grummet illustrates X-23, I just don't like it. I don't know, something, maybe it's about the amount of skin he has her showing, or the way she, he kind of makes her look very built. Uh, it just doesn't work for me on any level. Uh, I haven't enjoyed how he's been illustrating her. I pretty much like every, all the rest of his art in the book. It's really just on that character. It just doesn't work. Uh, next up is Avenging Spider-Man number 14. Uh, I gave this one a 7 out of 10. And to be honest, I'm kind of wondering why. Um, okay, now I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, now I kind of get it. I haven't been enjoying this book in a while. It feels like... Uh, a great example of missed potential. There's a great potential for Spider-Man teaming up with Avengers and other heroes, uh, basically like a Spider-Man team-up or a Marvel team-up. Uh, what could go wrong? 
a lot of things. The book has been terrible. It's been inconsistent. The stories haven't really mattered. They haven't been all that well written. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't need a story to quote-unquote matter or be part of continuity as long as it's entertaining and engaging and a really good story. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Like, um, my friend Nate, who's been on the podcast before, he likes reading, like, you know, one-shots and miniseries with Wolverine. Now, obviously, Wolverine has so many stories that a lot of them don't actually end up quote-unquote mattering in terms of his long-term continuity, but if you tell a really great Wolverine story, he doesn't care. He got a great Wolverine story, and that's what he wanted. So that's what I want more from this book. Uh, this issue's not bad. Colin Bunn is writing it with Gabrielle Delato in artwork, which it's very... Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, Gabrielle's artwork. Uh, very light color palette, uh, not nearly as moody and as uh, kind of enriched in terms of the artwork. Um... Not bad. Uh, it's an interesting and weird story. You have Spider-Man kind of teaming up with Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. Uh, I'm a sucker for anything like that because I really like uh, both both those characters. Um, this book, this issue felt more like what the book should be. Uh, it's kind of set in and around his own Spider-Man's main book. He's going on, a, on an expedition with uh, Horizon Labs, and he ends up teaming up with uh, Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy. So, you know, you don't need a lot of setup, but the setup this year is actually fairly good. I enjoy this quite a bit. I give this a 7 out of 10. Not Gabriel Delato's best artwork, but it's still fairly solid. Uh, that brings us to AVX Consequences number 5. Now, my frequent uh, guest, um, Paul Score, has really hated this book. And I think he really didn't like, uh, at the end of the day, the entire miniseries because he felt like there was no real consequences to the AVX event. Because um, we were talking about this today. And I was kind of saying that, you know, there were some consequences. You had Namor's uh, excellent discussion with, um, what was it, Hope in a previous issue where they had talked about the idea of, like, he never felt so small. I felt that was really interesting and kind of uh, a way of looking into Namor's head, which we usually don't get a lot of, a lot of glimpses into. Um, so there is has been some interesting stuff. Colossus now wanting to kill his sister is a huge change for that character. Like it cannot be underestimated that you know for most of the character's existence, he's always loved his sister. I mean that's one of the primary things about Colossus people think of. They think about his relationship with his little snowflake, his sister, and now he wants to kill her. What does that do to you as a man, uh, as a as a brother? Um, how does this transform you as an individual? I think that. It's been interesting to see what the, how, the little bit that it got in the previous issue. I'm glad that they were able to expand on it a little bit, and I thought that was really fascinating. Um, this issue, I'm really torn because there's some good, really good things about this issue, but there's also some really terrible things. Um, Scott, Scott Summers gets broken out of jail by Magneto, uh, Magic, and Danger. Um which is the the main brunt of the issue. You also have Cable kind of quickly show up and talk to Hope, which is one of the like, biggest piece of crap, uh, you know, sequences I've ever read. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't feel accurate to either character. It feels extremely misplaced. Uh, Marvel could and should have done better with that relationship, considering those characters and their history and the fact that they pretty much co-headlined a book together, even though one of the characters was, you know, not able to talk at the time. It's ridiculous how they've treated that relationship ever since Cable's now back. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it didn't work for me at all. Um, and then I guess the end of this book kind of leads into all-new X-Men and maybe even Uncanny X-Men. Uh, the idea that, I guess, Cyclops is kind of embracing being a villain of sorts. That didn't really work for me. I don't know. 
Like, I get it, and it's kind of cool, but at the same time, like, I miss my Cyclops that everyone can kind of like and enjoy, that he's, like, this this leader who's, like, second only to Captain America. There's nothing wrong with that version of the character, and I kind of miss that. Uh, so I get that at 6.5 out of 10, and that brings us up to Batwing number 14. Now, this is a book that, unfortunately, I, I want to like, and I really like the Zero issue, but ever since then, I've just not been engaged at all, so this will be a very quick review of this issue. Um, I just didn't find I really was investing in, in Batwing as a character, or even the other characters that are in the book. Um, I don't know, and like the, the villains he's fighting, and the way that they're kind of being written, I, it just doesn't grab me at all. Like I, I kind of half-skim through the pages, because I'm waiting for something to be interesting. I'm waiting for me... Like, the Zero Issue really grabbed my attention. This is not. This is just losing my attention. It's pushing me away. It's basically saying, oh, thank you for picking up this book. I got nothing for you. And then, like, Jeff Probst and Survivor, like, oh, sorry, I got nothing for you. And then I'm just kind of walking empty-handed, and it just... The book is a kind of an empty experience for me. I give it a 5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Daredevil End of Days number 2. Um, this book is frustrating because it's, it is it is the end of Daredevil's days, but it's all right after his days. Um, what doesn't make it any better is that it's basically Bendis' rip-off of Citizen Kane. Like, uh, kind of un- unabashedly so, and that's almost uncomfortable. Like, it's so obvious that he's pulling a Citizen Kane, at least to some degree. The fact that someone dies and utters, you know, their, their final last word, no one knows what it means, so an intrep- you know, a journalist goes around interviewing people who knew him to try and figure out what it means, like, that's pure Citizen Kane. That's been around, I mean, yes, obviously it's a trope, but it's been around for like 70 years. It's not like people haven't done it before, 71 years. Um, it just, I just didn't care for it. It didn't need to be here. It just felt like an odd way to tell the last Daredevil story. To have it all take place after like, it's all after he's already dead, and then they're just kind of pieced together the last few years of his life. I don't... I guess it theoretically is a lot more interesting than it actually is. I mean, I guess the other option would be to actually, you know, come start at a certain point and then just show what happens in that life. And I think that would have been a little bit more interesting. And you would have had been able to get inside Daredevil's head instead of going through Yurik's head, which is kind of overmined and, over, and kind of played out. Um... I gave it a seven and a half out of ten. I mean, the artwork with Jansen at first was a little bit; it seemed a little bit much for me. But the more I read it, the more I realized I actually kind of dug it. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of originality here in terms of how it's being written. But I'm interested to see where they go next. Um, there, I mean, I'm in because I love Daredevil. This is not the best Daredevil story. This isn't isn't even a story that really feels that much like the end of Daredevil, except for the fact that he's obviously just died, but it just doesn't... Some Something is is missing, and I'm not quite sure, but it's still not a bad book. So I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Next up is Deadpool number 1. I uh, didn't enjoy this at all. Um, uh, it's... I was talking about this, again, with uh, Paul Scores uh, re- recently, actually, this, today. We were... Uh, coming back from a toy convention and we we're just talking about the marvel now and i think my problem with De- this new deadpool book is that you know or deadpool in general is i feel like deadpool needs to be retired for a few years and just not be around uh because it's gotten so that the writers who write his adventures get um increasingly silly in the way that they portray his adventures and all the things that he gets up to and now you've got i guess apparently they're actual comedians writing the book and it just it just feels not right it doesn't it just feels like it's being goofy for goofy's sake and not necessarily like zany there's a fine line between goofy and zany i miss the zany and i don't i don't like the goonie the, sorry the goofy um 
the idea here is that you know the a bunch of presidents of the United States have been resurrected and they're kind of all messed up and kind of um not tyrannical but like homicidal and they're gonna kill people and destroy things and uh I guess I feel feel like this is something that someone pitched at like a meeting and everyone was like, Yeah, that's a great idea and then no one really read it and then realized that it kinda of sucked and it felt one note and it just didn't work and I just feel like especially considering it came out like the day after the the American uh, election, it just feel like at the end of the day no one wants to talk about politics or anything like that after the, an election like that. They're kind of done. Like, they've been hearing about politics for a while, all the two candidates, blah, blah, blah. You've had primaries, you've had, you know, the uh, the debates. I think people are just kind of sick of it and they're ready for it to be over. And, no, we're going to have dead presidents come back to life so that Deadpool can fight and kill them. Uh, this just didn't work. Um, I didn't find it interesting or engaging, so not much more to be said about that. Um, I should mention the creative team, though. Let me just pull up the creative team. So this uh, issue is written by... Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find the exact information on who took care of this issue. Uh, just one moment. I guess I could pause the podcast, but who does that when you're doing everything live? Okay, so I can't quite find the names, which is unfortunate. Um, so... Yeah, I, the artwork is isn't bad. It just again, it kind of is playing towards the uh, the kind of silly part. Uh, here we go. It was written by Jerry Dugan and Brian Pawson, with art by Tony Moore. Uh, it just feels like again, it's trying to be a little bit too slapsticky, a little bit too goofy, and not not zany enough. If they're going to be funny, if they're going to be funny, just be zany. If not, you don't have to be as crazy funny all the time. And I think that's something that. They try too hard all the time, and they just don't let it go. Uh, next up is Defenders number 12. I uh, gave this an 8 out of 10. Um, I I was kind of torn on if I should even give this that high rating at all, because on the one hand, it's actually kind of interesting and, and ballsy, because, I mean, this is the last issue of the book. There's nothing else to come. We can kind of do what he wants, so he's got fraction writing, and he basically says that everything that we've seen in this book after a certain point doesn't matter. It hasn't happened, because... Uh, Doctor Strange goes back in time and is able to change something so that the whole sequence of events that unfolds in the book never occurs. Uh, if that's a little bit confusing, it kind of is. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's as I said, it's kind of ballsy because it's it's kind of daring the reader to be like, are you sure you don't have a problem with me wiping out the last few issues that don't actually matter and they never happen anymore? Um, that being said, it's a miniseries, and for the most uh, part, people who started reading it kind of well, not miniseries, but the, it's been clear for a while now that there is a finite ending, so you kind of know that it's ending, so you're kind of going to that kind of expectation. Uh, Matt Fraction wrote it. Our, our work is by Pier Federici, so I don't actually know who that is, but it's not bad artwork. Um, I enjoyed it. Again, you kind of closed the loop on the entire Defenders book, this new iteration, but uh, it wasn't all bad, and not all of it happened, <laughs> as it turns out. Uh, so I give that an 8 out of 10. Uh, next up, after Defenders, is Detective Comics number 14. Uh, this was actually a really good issue, really solid. Uh, the artwork is good. Um, it, this was this was a solid, solid book. Last issue was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was a little bit different, but I dug it a lot. Uh, and then this issue picks right up from it because there was a bit of a cliffhanger. And it's just really, really fun and enjoyable. And I'm glad that Detective Comics is really 
making me interested again because for a while it just wasn't that all that interested in what they were doing. Um, but now the artwork is fantastic. The story is surprisingly solid. Um, this is just really good stuff, and the way that it's been written, oh, there's a lot of talent going into this book. You can tell. So uh, the the uh, artwork on this issue is done by just one moment. I believe it is by. Jason Fabach, who this is really clean, really wonderful uh, pencils. You have colors with Jeremy Cox. This is really fantastic stuff. Um, also, you've got uh, the issue itself is written by John Lehman, and it actually does a pretty good job writing a really good uh, Poison Ivy story, even though I really don't like her New 52 uh, costume. I think it's just ugly and terrible. Now, the general premise behind this book is that you have uh, Oswald Cobblepot, kind of uh, pissed off Bruce Wayne because he made sure that this big new donation or what have you, or there's a wing, I think, of a hospital or something, was being opened in the name of Martha Wayne, and now it's not. Now it's in the name of uh, Oswald Cobblepot's parents. Uh, Batman's a little bit ticked off by this. Uh, Damien wants to take him out, but Batman's like, no, we got to take things we don't want to stop at a time. This kind of leads him into uh, a fracas with uh, Poison Ivy, where he actually ends up kind of in the middle between the two and inadvertently kind of protecting uh, Cobblepot's interests. The artwork here is stellar. It's really clean, really, really solid stuff. The storyline, I'm actually really enjoying it. Um, there's a nice sense of continuity between what's going on in other books and this one, uh, so I do like that. There's some editor boxes, which I always enjoy. Um, Penguin's written action actually quite well. Uh, this is just a really solid book. Uh, a few months ago, I wouldn't have thought that I would enjoy a Detective Comics issue this much, but no, this was really good. Uh, so I gave that an 8 out of 10. Next up is Earth 2, number 6. I also gave this an 8 out of 10, although it looks like when I was writing it down, I accidentally said 8 out of 14, which doesn't make any sense. So this is an 8 out of 10. Um, I'm really, really a fan of Earth 2. Um, the first issue really blew me away, obviously. I think I mentioned this before. Uh, this is going to be a really nice collected edition. It's a really good arc. You have James Robinson writing it. You have Nicola Scott in artwork. Uh, you have the resolution of the first major story. Uh, Grundy is uh, kind of defeated by the New Wonders. Uh, there's a nice kind of cliffhanger as to you know, what, just, what does happen now because maybe they don't need to be a team or maybe one of the members of the team doesn't believe that he needs to be on a team with the rest of the members. Um, there's a lot of characters at play here, but this felt like an old-school DC comic in the best of uh, best possible way. So I actually really enjoy this, and this is just really, really solid. Uh, again, 8 out of 10 all the way. Uh, that leads us to... Uh, Green Lantern number 14. Now, this was a lot better than the last couple issues, which I I was a little bit down on. Um, I'm still not a fan of the Third Army concept. It's kind of in the background here, thankfully, but I just don't care about it. Uh, the main story, obviously, is Simon Baz is being uh, confronted by the Justice League. Uh, they have a, you know, a common mis uh, misunderstanding, which... This time, it really is a real misunderstanding. It isn't just, oh, we're not going to talk about this. It's more, oh, something happened with my ring. It's not my fault. It's a misunderstanding. I'm out of here, and then I'm getting into a fight that I didn't want, because they're not going to let me go based on what just happened. It was an accident. I'm out of here. So I thought that it's very rare that the classic misunderstanding you know, fight and maybe later team up uh, trope is actually legitimately used. It's usually it's because they're following a certain formula, but this time it really felt accurate. Um, our work is still by Doug Monkey. This is still written by Jeff Johns. Uh, again, it's much better than it has been. There is some time spent on you know this this mysterious lantern who 
Um, the first line there and what he means with the Guardians who've been kind of locked away for a while have mean as well. Um, not a lot of stuff is actually kind of developed on that edge, but on that kind of frontier, but there's actually still some story movement, uh, some progression, uh, really good artwork. It's not Jeff Jones' best by any means. I mean, this, this whole relaunch of the book has not quite felt like it's really given it a lot of energy, um, and a lot of time, and really a spark to keep it going, but, you know, it isn't bad. I mean, this is probably one of the best issues I've read of this title since it's had some baz in it so far. I also like seeing the brief, brief glimpses of um, uh, Sinestro and Hal Jordan, because they are way overdue. Um, and I, I wish that they would explain just what the hell is going on, because they haven't really bothered yet, and that's kind of irksome. Next book on the uh, pile that we have this week, uh, after uh, Green Lantern, was Iron Man number one. Um, this is the second Marvel Now release that came out this week, or the big new relaunch. Obviously, I didn't enjoy Deadpool all that much, but I was hoping that I would enjoy Iron Man. Um, obviously, Fraction wrote Iron Man a long time, so it's going to take a little bit of getting used to, having a different uh, voice behind it. Um, as I said in a previous podcast, uh, I wasn't a big fan of the way that Invincible Iron Man ended just because that last issue felt very, like, it didn't feel like a wrapping up of Fraction's plotlines at all. Instead, it just kind of felt like, uh, hey, look, I'm going to set this character up to go into space, but I'm not going to in anywhere in the issue reference that he's going to go into space in a different title, and then when we pick up, uh, you know, the new Iron Man title by Kieran Gillen and Greg Land, we won't mention it. Um... So now he's just kind of back from his vacation. There's not a lot described to, you know, what happened in space. What has he been doing? Which, that felt awkward and weird. And especially it's weird that, you know, this upcoming big new Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you know, story that we're going to get soon by Bendis, I guess takes place in the past. Like, it's already happened. So it kind of makes it a little bit less interesting and takes away some of the, uh, you know, the, oh my god, what's going to happen next uh, quotient. Um... The artwork was, I mean, it's Greg Land, either like him or you hate him. Um, if you don't like him, then don't pick it up. I mean, you won't enjoy this. If you do like him, then give him a shot. I mean, this is not his worst, not his best either. Uh, it's kind of middle of the road, but Kieran Gillen revisits the whole idea of extremists. Uh, extremists enhanced um, individuals are the main antagonist for Tony here. Um, so, you know... All in all, I mean, besides Greg Land's horrible depiction of Tony, which it's almost like it was trying to be a little bit like the depiction that LaRocca was doing in Invincible Iron Man, but somehow worse, uh, it just doesn't look right. But everyone else looks pretty nice because, you know, they're not, they're all real people for the most part, probably, because he's using references, etc. I mean, unfortunately, like, or, like his artwork or hate it, there is a certain thing that he does. And you can either like it or hate it, but that he's going to keep doing it, because that's what's successful for him. Um, so I gave Iron Man number 1 a 7 out of 10. It didn't quite meet all my expectations, um, but it did kind of try to do something not necessarily new, because we've seen extremists a lot in the, in the last, well, the last 6-7 years since it was major, majorly introduced, but... Uh, I guess, you know, just taking, maybe going a slightly different route with it, and, you know, it sounds familiar, but maybe it'll end up being a lot different once we get more into it. So I'm I'm interested to see where that goes. Next up is Manhattan Project number 7. Um, this issue was nowhere near as good as I was hoping it would be. Uh, it's still very good, very solid. This, this is the first issue, I think, that I did not feel like my uh, my, my socks got knocked off. Um, Jonathan Hickman wrote it with Nick Patara on artwork, who is 
absolute joy to read his artwork like his it is spectacular um he does a really good job on this book and this is an important issue because you're basically setting up where we're going to be going next and i think this is why it didn't really knock my socks off is because it wasn't so much about uh earth-shattering revelations or this mind-bending twist ending or anything like that is more you know uh the the people of the manhattan projects and the soviet equivalent are kind of meeting together and deciding you know we have to defend our our homeland together because this is what we have to do some things are bigger than our national uh you know um antagonistic relationships uh some things are bigger than that some things are more important and that's defending the earth and the idea that they're kind of setting up is that the presidents uh the governments that are effectively being sidestepped are not going to appreciate this and setting up an interesting showdown between them so i'm interested to see where that goes because that actually has a lot of potential and that could be really quirky and weird and but wonderful at the same time uh, so again, this wasn't the best issue ever, but it's still solid. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Next up is New Avengers number 32, which was not enjoyable at all. Um, for those who listen to my reviews often, I don't usually say words like, you know, this is crap, but I kind of felt this way. I just felt that this story, I didn't care. I, I don't know what Bendis is doing. I at least appreciate that this felt like uh, he started this new iteration of New Avengers, I believe, with... Uh, Jericho, not Jericho, sorry, uh, Brother Voodoo story, and he's kind of ending with that way. I just don't care. Um, he was trying to make this book more about like magic and having Doctor Strange around and the rules of magic, but I just was not a big fan, and so this issue didn't go really help to uh, make me any more of a fan. Uh, you have Jennifer Carroll's mentioned a lot. You have Doctor Strange kind of figuring out what's going on with Victoria Hand. Um, then suddenly, like, you know, something weird is going on with the Avengers, and then they have this antagonistic relationship with the police, and they, you know, they're, they keep trying to, like, come on the grounds to arrest them for certain things and have their guns drawn. Um, there's, like, a, a weird but, like, kind of shocking murder that takes place. I found that this just issue just left me cold. Um, I couldn't wait to be done. I was just kind of flipping through, and I was, like, I was I was trying to, to read it slowly and really enjoy what was going on, but I just found that I didn't care about how he was writing it, and it just feels like, again, this is a lame duck book. Who cares? I, I'm ready for the new New Avengers with an, an Illuminati um, you know, team and having a really good artist. I, although I forget who that artist is now. I'm looking forward to something like that happening, and I'm just kind of done with this. Uh, Bendis can leave, and I'm... He had a good run. He did. He obviously helped create the Avengers. He's really a true franchise in comics. They've had one or two titles before. They've had obviously some of their characters have supporting, uh, sorry, uh, solo titles. But this, he was the one who kind of took it apart, made it something new and fresh, and, and very slick and, and exciting. And uh, you know, he, he deserves a lot of credit. But I'm also, I think, I'm just done. Um, the artwork is by Carlos Pacheco with inks by. Roger Martinez, Cam Smith, and Scott Hanna. You know what? I would not have thought this was Carlos Pacheco if it wasn't for the fact that I've actually read the credits. I don't know who it looks like exactly, but this just does not look like Pacheco, and not in a good way. This just wasn't his best work. Um, and also, obviously, it wasn't identifiably his in terms of a lot of the pages. It didn't scream, this is Carlos Pacheco. And that's weird, because usually I can kind of pick out his artwork because he's got a very defined style, and I don't know if that's just because the inkers kind of made his style disappear a little in the inks. I don't know. It could be many different things. Um, so I gave that a 5 out of 10. 
So now we're running to the home stretch here. So next up is Scarlet Spider number 11. Um, I'm a big fan of Scarlet Spider. I think everyone knows that. Um, I'm not really a big fan of the story. I think the easiest way for me to, to kind of uh, make mention of it is it kind of reminds me of when Venom was going through the Circle of Four storyline. I didn't care for that, although I really liked the Venom book. They just took a, a month off, basically, in terms of quality, and they weren't nearly as interesting. Um, this this minimum carnage is kind of the same for me. I like the idea that you have two characters like uh, Venom and Scarlet Spider kind of being involved, uh, taking on Carnage, who's you know the epitome of the '90s, and who's more '90s than you know Venom in any form? Because obviously Flash Thompson's version of Venom is quite new, and uh, then you got Scarlet Spider, Kane. The name is very '90s, and the Kane himself as a character is very '90s. So I do like those concepts. It's just uh, having them in the microverse kind of makes me not care as much. Uh, it, it just seems more odd and weird characters, and it, again, it doesn't really ground itself and make me more interested in what's going on. Um, this issue is written by Chris Yost with artwork by Riley Brown and Koi Pham. I really like Riley Brown's stuff. It's actually really solid. Koi Pham's stuff is okay, but it's nowhere near as strong as Riley Brown's in this issue. And you can tell which which pages are which by which artist, and, um... It really does make a, a huge difference. Um, I'm ready for the storyline to be over, though. Uh, again, it's not doing a lot for me. Um, I give them credit for trying something new and different, and I'm sure this was just kind of mentioned someday that, oh, we did Maximum Carnage back in the 90s. Haha, <laughs> we should do Minimum Carnage. And then they try to come up with a story idea for it, and to be honest, I just don't think this would work. I would rather have had a crazy adventure involving Pym Particles than just going to the Microverse and having stuff like this happen, because it doesn't feel like it really makes me invested, and, uh, and you know, actually feel, doesn't really feel like the story really takes place in, in a Marvel Universe that makes sense, because there's no real repercussions like we we hear what could be happening or what what this could mean if they don't end up fixing everything and saving the world but again it just doesn't feel right to me um there's two more parts in this issue in this series sorry uh storyline uh two more issues in the storyline left uh venom number 27 which comes out next week and in two weeks minimum carnage omega uh so on to the next book so i gave that a six out of ten and we got uh, Uncanny X-Force number 33. Uh, now this book, uh, man, Final Execution is just going on forever. Remender obviously likes his long stories, his long, you know, complicated storylines and uh, story arcs, but I feel like he's going a little bit too far. I mean, this is, I think, issue 9. Um, I'm just ready for it to be over. I mean, I'm, I'm liking this, too. I mean, there have been some bum issues, but overall, I think that there's a really strong undercurrent here in, in Uncanny X-Force 33, but uh, this uh, uh, is really good. It's still giving it an 8 out of 10. I'm just ready for the storylines to be shorter, but he's leaving the book. The book itself is ending, so it does, it's kind of a moot point at that point. Uh, Rick Remender obviously was writing it with Noto and artwork, um, there's just, there's so many characters that are kind of involved in here that have been written into the storyline, and yet we don't see that many at a time, which is kind of an odd, uh, odd choice. Um, the artwork is probably stronger here than it has been in almost any of the other more recent issues. Um, I just, I, it's just much more vibrant, much more everything. It just looked really good. I'm... 
sadly, I wish I was more of a someone who really got more about artwork so they could use more words to be more descriptive. I just really like the general feel of this issue. I mean, the artwork is really solid. You got a clear idea of what was happening. You never were kind of wondering, you know, what is the artwork really telling me here? Uh, you never wondered that. It was very clean and concise. Um, some of the uh, the work on like the, the characters' faces is really smooth and clean. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm interested in seeing when this finally ends and how it will end and what it will mean for upcoming versions of the team because obviously there's going to be two X-Force teams, Uncanny and Cable End. Um, but no, this was good. 8 out of 10. Uh, brings us up to our second last book, World's Finest number 6. Uh, originally I was just going to step by and not review this because... Uh, I just was running out of books that I could have time to actually do, but uh, I forgot about the awesome cover, and it's basically uh, Damian Wayne, Robin, meeting uh, Helena Wayne, Huntress. Uh, I really like that these two characters meet. Um, Helena's trying to get some money from the Wayne Foundation. She just steals some money once in a while to help keep her going. She gets stopped by Damian, who's you know, a bit of a detective and is trying to stop her, and they have some really good interplay in the way that they kind of deal with each other. Um, you do get a little bit of Karen's, uh, Karen or Power Girl in here, but it just felt more of the same with her. Oh, look, you know, she re-entered into the, uh, atmosphere and her clothes burned off. What a big surprise. Um, it was okay. Uh, but really, the reason to read this issue is to see, uh, Huntress and... Damien having a, a knockdown dragout fight. It really feels quite interesting to see them because, you know, they're family and seeing what that's like. Um, and then uh, it looks like Helen is going to be explaining to Damien their true history and why he kind of has this weird feeling of deja vu. Like, you know, she's kind of similar to training and styles and moves as him. So I'll be interested to see where they go with that for sure. I hope that they actually do tell Damien. Um, I hope it's not just a fake out, but it could be. Gave it an 8 out of 10. And I was actually originally going to also talk about X Factor 246, but unfortunately, I just didn't have time to get to, to it this week. And uh, I also apologize for the review episode being up a day or a day late. I usually try to have it up for Saturday or Sunday. That would have been the 10th or 11th, but unfortunately, um, I was working my day job on the Saturday on the, on the 10th. On the 11th, I was at a, com- at a toy convention show. Um, trying to sell some comics because I'm trying to minimize and uh, downgrade my collection. As anyone who has more than a thousand books will know, uh, you very quickly start to have a lot. And there's a lot of stuff you may not read ever again, so you want to try and sell it. So that was what my day was kind of spent doing. So I do apologize for the episode going up one day late. Uh, The next episode, episode number, uh, I guess, number 26, uh, will probably be going up. Uh, I was going to say Wednesday, November the 14th, but it might go up Wednesday, sorry, Thursday, November the 15th, because of this uh, one-day delay in getting the review episode up. So thanks once again for joining us. Uh, The books that came out this week that we didn't get a chance to talk about were X-Factor 246, Before Watchmen, Moloch number 1, Dial H number 6, GI Combat number 6, Green Arrow number 14, Stormwatch 14, Swamp Thing number 14, which is a shame I didn't get to it because I would have liked to see the counterpoint to the Animal Man number 14 that came out this week, and finally X-Men number 38. So thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. Um, You can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, or you can also look us up on Facebook, as we now have a Facebook page. Uh, And again, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, 
I want to have a quick shout out just to thank all the listeners to the show. We just recently uh, surpassed a thousand downloads. Uh, so obviously this is episode 25. So we have a lot of episodes that are kind of building up in our archive. But I also just wanted to express my thanks to those who have downloaded the episodes and have contributed to that number that we finally hit a thousand downloads combined for all the episodes so far. Um, we've been, you know, it's as of. As I record this right now, it's November the 12th. I st- my The first episode was uploaded exactly three months ago on August the 12th, so uh, I've really been enjoying doing this podcast. Uh, it is definitely a labor of love. I do apologize if, again, actually, uh, my voice has kind of been going today, so I apologize if my voice hasn't been as up to snuff as usual. Um, but, no, it really, I've really been enjoying doing this podcast, not just doing the uh, reviews, but also uh, having special guests and doing special theme episodes. So uh, we do have some good stuff coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, our new Heroclix episode should be coming up uh, relatively soon. It should be going up on the 21st of November. Um, as I mentioned, uh, we have an episode going up either on the 14th or 15th, which is the top 15 Wolverine storylines, uh, as picked by myself, guest uh, Paul Scores, Nate Struck, and Amber Struck. And then we have a, a lot of good stuff coming up uh, again late November and then into December. So thanks again for joining us with uh, Comic Shenanigans, and uh, make sure to uh, tune in next time. <laughs>